mishpatim, the best way to describe it is it's sort of like a rock in the stream. You have this narrative going along where he's telling the story of the Exodus and he's bringing him to the mountain and the mountain is burning and all that kind of a stuff. And then all of a sudden we go into a law book and we start reading all these details about what do you do with oxes and sheep and all that kind of stuff. There's a number of ways to explain it. One of which is sort of a combination of the big picture and the details. There are, there are those of us who are big picture people, you know, have this vision of stuff, and then there are other people who are detail-oriented. And if you don't have both the detail and the, and the big picture, you're subject to go astray. I was reading the chief rabbi last night, and he came up with a, a way of phrasing it, which isn't even original to him. It's uh, apparently original to a guy named Robert Clover, and I don't know who Robert Clover is. I've never read Robert Clover. I have not met Robert Clover, but the chief rabbi cited him, so I'm passing on that citation. And what he said is, behind every law, there is a vision of the ideal social order. In other words, when you make a law, what you're saying is, I want society to be this way. That's the whole purpose of a law. He then goes on to say that behind that is a narrative. And the narrative comes from the people who make the laws. In other words, they've got experiences and they've got a history. And those experiences in that history give them an idea of what they think society should look like. And then from there, they enact laws to try and make it happen. So what we have here in Exodus is the story. And we have the story that leads up to all of these laws, and then we have a set of laws that gets dumped on us by God. And so the question then is, what kind of a society is God envisioning through these laws? What does he want society to look like that he has felt it necessary to give us these laws to live by because we can assume that he is trying to guide us and, and mold us into something that he thinks is good. First off, let's look at Israel's story. And notice, by the way, what was one of the things that got commanded by God just before the Exodus? Tell the story to your children. So the first chunk of Israel's story is they were slaves. That's a very formative thing in the Israeli story. We were slaves. And oh, by the way, the first of the laws today is how do you treat slaves? And we'll, talk, we'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. The second thing that Israel experienced during that time is being on the wrong side of the abuse of power. They had the Egyptian taskmasters and Pharaoh himself, who treated them in ways that they didn't find very pleasant. Now, one of the things that happens in society is people gain power. And so the question is, how are you going to use that power? Power itself is not bad, but the abuse of power is bad. Many of you know, or most of you know, I used to be in the army. And I commanded a battalion at one time. 
got 800 guys that were doing more or less sometimes what I wanted them to do. I mean, they didn't always do what I wanted them to do, but they were pretty good. The sense there is, ooh, I got a lot of power. I can do stuff that other people can't do, and the temptation is to use that power for your own benefit. Like, gee, I would like to be able to go and do this, which is against the regulations, but since I'm a battalion commander, I can get away with it. That's an abuse of power. Everybody who has power is always tempted to abuse it. It goes with the territory. So a part of Israel's formative story is being on the downside or the backside of that abuse of power. The next step in their story is learning to trust God. Here they have this one-on-one experience. I mean, there's no other nation that God gathers around the foot of the mountain and stands up on top of the mountain in the flame and the smoke of the fire and talks to them. That's unique. That's part of their story. We have a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And I will suggest that those three things are the story that forms who Israel is. Slavery, being on the wrong side of power, and a relationship with God. Given that, what kind of a society is God then trying to create with this set of laws that he gives? What does that society look like? I will suggest that the first part of that is that as a society based on a relationship with God. And that, you know, that's the first commandment. I am Jehovah your God, right? So the first part of the thing that God is trying to put together here is a society that has a relationship with him. Now I will suggest that within that society there are three overarching principles. And we'll talk about this some more in Midrash. And if you guys think of something that I haven't thought of, which is entirely possible, then we can talk about that. But I see three. I see three things that God is trying to set this society up to do. The first one is individual liberty. But wait a minute. The first, I don't know how many verses, talk about how you're going to deal with slaves. So how do you square, how do you deal with slaves with this idea of individual liberty being one of the foundations of the Israeli society that God is trying to put together. You need to, you need to square that circle. I will suggest that the way God has set slavery up is designed to abolish slavery. The first thing is, slavery is not what you are, it's what you do. In every other society, if you are a slave, slave is what you are. You are a slave. In Israelite society, slavery is what you do for a period of time. You are not a slave forever. Israelite society is unique there. And one of the things we find is in every country in the world that I know of, that has a Christian or Jewish tradition, slavery has been abolished. It's gone. 
the only place slavery lives on is in Muslim countries and some Asian countries and so forth that are not subject to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what I will suggest is one of the things that God is trying to shape society to be is a society of individual liberty. Where even a slave can look six years out and say, at the end of six years, I am going to cease doing slavery. And in that entire time, slavery is not what I am, it's what I do. Now, we saw from the Jeremiah reading today that the society went off the rails. In the Jeremiah reading today, they weren't doing that. And that becomes one of the reasons why God sends them into exile. Exile is therapeutic. What God does is send you into exile to correct what it is that you are doing wrong. And so God sends Israel into exile partially because of this abuse of the power of slave masters over slaves. Fine, you guys don't remember what it was like to be a slave in Egypt? We'll have a refresher course here. Everybody into Babylon. And we'll teach you what it was like to be a slave again. Because remember what God says as they're coming out is, remember what it was like to be a slave. And therefore, this is how you shall treat your slaves. You lose track of that, we're going to have a refresher course. The next thing I will suggest that it's based on is personal responsibility. Individual liberty. Second thing is personal responsibility. And what we have is all sorts of laws that say, this is how you will treat the stuff others have. This is how you will, you know, you dig a pit. You don't just dig a pit and walk off. You put a fence around it and you mark it and all that kind of stuff. You are responsible for what you do. Everything these laws talk about is how do you behave when you don't act responsibly. So the second thing is individual responsibility. The third thing is how to handle power. How do you handle power when you have it? Because as I said, there's nothing particularly wrong with power. You need it to get stuff done. But when you have it, how do you behave? First lesson is in the context of slavery again. If you've got a slave that isn't doing what you want, and you start wailing on him, and he dies, that's murder. If you knock his tooth out, you just lost your slave. There are limits to power. And those limits are imposed by God. And he says, you're going to get power, but you've got to use it in a way that I find acceptable. So I will suggest that the laws that God is putting together are designed to bring about a society with those three values. Individual liberty, individual responsibility, and the proper use of power. So let's take a look at slavery. Slavery is sort of the poster child for secular people who don't like the Bible. And they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, you believe in the Bible, then tell me how I'm supposed to treat my slaves. And, of course, that's supposed to make you wilt and say, well, I guess there must, I, I can't talk to you about that because the Bible has these things that are embarrassing. 
Now, there's two kinds of slaves. We've talked about this before. They're Hebrew slaves and they're Gentile slaves. And the way they are treated is different. The law here is for Israel. And Israelite slaves are treated as we've said. They, they are not slaves forever. They are slaves by profession for a while. And then they get to go off and do something else. And again, slavery like exile is therapeutic. The way an Israelite slave becomes a slave is he gets himself in debt and he can't pay his debts. Or he commits some crime. And he's sold into slavery by the courts. Or he's sold into slavery by his father. And I'm going to hold that one to Midrash. Because there's, there's some really interesting stuff about that. And I'm going I'm to say that one for Midrash. Uh, female slaves. It's, it's, it's an interesting study. But the idea here is slavery, at least in the case of males, and in fact in case of females too, is beneficial and therapeutic. Because if you got yourself into slavery, what they do is they put you in the household of someone who is successful. Because in order to be able to buy a slave, you got to have money. And you serve there for six years, and one hopes that in that process you pick up habits and behavior patterns that will keep you from being a slave again. Gentile slaves are more interesting. Gentile slaves, according to the Torah, you can keep forever. There is no law of release for a Gentile slave. So the question then becomes, how is God looking at slavery in that sense as being something he wants his society to emulate? And the answer, of course, is a Gentile slave who lives in a Hebrew household is being exposed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there are laws that say, how do you become an Israelite? And theoretically, and, and again, I'm not an expert on how there's, we just saw in Jeremiah, they weren't doing this right, and so they got sent into exile, and I, and I don't know whether they did this right, but theoretically, just reading the book, it's then possible for this guy to say, that God of yours, he's going to be my God too. At which point, there is no difference between them and an Israelite. And we can fast forward 1,800 years to the United States. One of the primary arguments and motivations of the abolitionists, those who were against slavery in the South, was these people have come into our society and they have become Christians. How can we justify keeping our fellow Christians in slavery? That was a major, major impetus to abolition and ultimately the Civil War. This idea that, wait a minute, we're co-religionists. They believe in the same God we do. We can't keep them slaves any longer. So I'm suggesting that God's setup of slavery here is designed to abolish slavery. And those people who need to be slaves therapeutically, in other words, those who have gotten themselves into debt and they can't, can't feed themselves anymore, or they've stolen something and the court puts them in slavery, that's intended to be therapeutic. It isn't intended to be forever. So the whole thing about slavery is a society where there are no slaves. 
And we see that God's way of doing that works. Now, it takes, took 1,800 years, or actually longer than that. From, from Sinai, tack 500 out of there, it's probably 2,300 years that it took to finally rid slavery from societies that follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it did. It works. What we find today, however, is laws that are made without regard to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob often don't work. There's still a vision of a perfect society that's behind those laws, but the ones that humans make that don't line up with the ones God make often have what are known as unintended consequences. God's laws don't. They may take a long time to work, but the consequences are going to be what God wants them to be because he understands us, he made us, and he knows how we should, how we should behave. So let me give you a contrary example from here in the United States. Abortion. The laws with respect to abortion were designed to free women. That was the stated purpose. And it had a vision behind it, and that vision was men and women working side by side, shoulder to shoulder in the Soviet sense, and women being free of having to bear children so they could go on and do their careers and all that kind of stuff. That was the vision. I, I, I was alive when all this was being debated. Very high sounding and noble. But what's the result been? The result has been the destruction of the family. Men no longer feel any responsibility for the children they sire because men have no control over what happens to those children. And what we're seeing now is this raft of you know, one-bedroom apartments with single moms and one child, you know, the, the transitory boyfriends that come through. All of that flows from those laws that we made, and those are what are known as unintended consequences because the people who made those laws back then, if you had said what's going to happen is what we have now, would have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not what we want to have happen. But again, there's a vision behind the law of what the society should look like, and if the vision doesn't match God's vision of what society should look like, what you wind up with are these, as I say, unintended consequences. Whereas if your laws do match what God sets out, what will happen is you will wind up with a society that looks like what God wants it to look like. So now, let's fast forward. United States. What formed the United States? What was the story? What was the narrative that formed us, that led to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence? So we had religious and economic refugees Right? You had refugees from Europe that were fleeing Europe for, in the case of the pilgrims, religious reasons. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, we need to get something about religion in here. We also had economic refugees. In other words, people fleeing Europe because they didn't like the lack of opportunity. Okay, not everybody who came to the United States was a religious refugee. A lot of them were economic. So what the Declaration and the Constitution say is this is our story and these are the laws we are putting together in response to that story to make a society that looks like we want it to look. And oh, by the way, 
the basis was a relationship with God. As it turned out, it doesn't matter whether your relationship with God is from a Quaker perspective or a Puritan perspective or a Baptist perspective, but you get to believe any way you want to believe as long as you don't interfere with what I believe. Second one is economic liberty and personal... Oh, wait a minute. Does this sound like something Israel has? Ooh. The guys who put this together were believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were intimately familiar with the scriptures. A lot of them spoke Hebrew and Greek. It was part of a classical education. And so what they did is they put together a set of founding documents based on their story, which in a sense they regarded as an exodus. We left the old country for a land flowing with milk and honey. So the story behind the founding of the United States is very similar to the story behind the founding of Israel, and the founding documents are very similar to what we find in Scripture because they're based on Scripture. Ever since the 19th century, we now have a competing story. And the competing story is secular humanism, for lack of something better. It goes by various names, but basically it is humanism instead of deism. So now we have competing stories. And if you look at Hollywood and you look at all those kinds of things, what they are doing is they are pushing an alternative story. And that story denigrates the story of the founding back in the 18th century. They're competing stories. And whichever story wins will be the story that forms the laws and the story that gets to shape what we look like. And this fight that we have, you know, the fights over Christmas, the fights over where you can speak about, you know, you can only be within 20 feet of an abortion claim. You know, all those, all those laws are as a result of these competing narratives that are going on, these competing stories. And what you need to decide is which story you're going to tell, which story you're going to live. And you need to understand that the competing stories are not benign. They are designed to move things in a direction that is consistent with that story. So you need to decide what story you believe. And you need to decide what story you want to live in. And when somebody pushes an alternative story, you've got to get right back at them and say, no, that's wrong. That story is not true. That story leads to some place that I don't want to be. And what they'll say is, oh, you're just, you're an extremist. Or, no, it's not going to do that. Because there were people, again, to use our example of abortion, there were people back in the 60s when this was being debated. And as I say, I was a young man in the 60s, and I heard all these debates. And there were people that said what I'm saying. And they were, oh, no, it'll never go there. That'll never happen. But it will. Once you're starting arguing about laws, it's too late where you've got to be engaging is down at the story. You've got to say our story is we came out of Egypt. We were brought out by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants us to live in individual liberty. He wants us to be individually responsible for our actions. And he wants us to know how to use power in a responsible way. That's our story. And we don't agree with your story. That's the level you've got to contend at. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.